why I want to begin this morning by asking you if you can remember a time when you were persuaded by someone else. Maybe you held to one position, you had a particular way of thinking, you believed something, but then through conversations or through study, you were persuaded to believe something different. You changed your mind. Your attitude changed or your perspective changed. I can think of a time when this happened in my life. It was during my college years. I went to Northwest University in Kirkland, and when I began there, I held to what people referred to as Pentecostal doctrines, and I did not hold to a Reformed understanding of salvation, which our church holds to. And I actually argued against the Reformed understanding of salvation. But through numerous conversations and through years of study, my mind was changed. I was persuaded to believe differently. And I landed in a different place. And I thank God for that. I thank God that through those conversations, through those years of study, that my mind was changed on things. I believe the Lord led me to believe things that are true, that are good and, and right. And the thing is, we need to have our beliefs challenged sometimes. We need to have our thoughts challenged. We need to have our attitudes and our perspective challenge and there are times when we need to be persuaded to believe differently to change our minds we all need that at certain times in our lives and i bring this up because this morning we are continuing our sermon series going through the minor prophets and this morning we come to a unique prophet in habakkuk in the prophetic literature of the old testament we see that prophets were called and commissioned by God to deliver particular messages to God's people or to the enemies of God's people. Oftentimes, God sent the prophets to call his people to repentance for their rebellion against him and breaking the covenant he made with them. And one of the things we see in Scripture is that God entered into a covenant relationship with his people, the people of Israel, who were descendants of Abraham Isaac and Jacob. He bound himself to his people by willingly entering into a covenant relationship with them based on his steadfast love. And sadly, what we see is that though God was willing to enter into this covenant relationship with them based on his steadfast love, they failed to uphold their end of the covenant. You see, God promised to bless them. He promised to multiply them. He promised to provide them with a good land. He promised that his presence would be there with them. What he required in return was that they would worship him and him alone, which of course makes sense because he is the one true and living God. He's the only one who is worthy of worship and praise and glory and honor. So he expected them to worship him and him alone, and he expected and required them to live according to the law that he gave them. And the law that he gave them was good. It was good, and it was good for them. If they would walk in his ways, if they would obey his laws, and they would live in a way that was good and right and pleasing in his eyes, and they would enjoy his blessing. But they, time and time again, disobeyed his law, rejected him as their king, and broke the covenant that he lovingly entered into with them. And because they sinned against the Lord and broke the covenant, God graciously sent prophets. He sent prophets to call his people to repentance and to urge them to be faithful to the covenant that they had made with the Lord. 
He sent the prophets to try to persuade them and to try to urge them and try to change their minds and change their attitudes and change their perspectives so they would live in right relationship with the Lord. But that is not actually what we see in Habakkuk. The reason that Habakkuk is unique is that the book of Habakkuk does not record prophecies that the prophet spoke to the Lord's people or even to the enemies of the Lord's people. Rather, the book of Habakkuk records a conversation between Habakkuk and the Lord. And I would describe the conversation as a confrontation. But it was not the Lord who was confronting Habakkuk. It was actually Habakkuk who was confronting the Lord. And what we're going to see is that Habakkuk took exception to the way he perceived the Lord was dealing with sin and injustice. Habakkuk believed the Lord was failing to do what was right, and he complained to the Lord about his concern. So the first two chapters are made up of a dialogue between Habakkuk and the Lord, whereby Habakkuk lodged two complaints, and the Lord provided two responses. The book concludes in chapter 3 where Habakkuk wrote a prayer or a psalm in response to what the Lord revealed to him in his responses. And what we see in that prayer that Habakkuk wrote is that his perspective was changed. His attitude was changed. So when you think about the book of Habakkuk, whenever you read the, Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk, in the future, just remember going into it that Habakkuk was the prophet who confronted the Lord and lodged his complaints. Maybe think of him as the complaining prophet. I don't know. Anything to help you remember, the book of Habakkuk is about this conversation between the prophet and the Lord where the prophet lodged his complaints and the Lord responded. But then the prophet's attitude and perspective were changed and we see that in his prayer in chapter 3. So let's begin by reading Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, where we see his first complaint. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk was likely a prophet around 600 B.C. after the reign of King Josiah. Josiah, who reigned in Judah from 640 to 609 B.C., was a reformer. Before he became king, the people of Judah had descended into complete and open rebellion against Yahweh. They broke his laws. Again, God gave his people the law at Mount Sinai as he entered into a relationship with them, and his law was good. But the people of Judah had disobeyed his laws blatantly. They had broken the covenant. They had rebelled against the Lord. They had abandoned him. Sadly, the people of Israel failed to be faithful to Yahweh and the covenant they made with him. Before Josiah became king, the people of Judah were guilty of sexual immorality, worshiping Baal on the high places, dedicating horses to the sun god, 
practicing child sacrifice by offering children to Molech, and denying justice to the poor, vulnerable, and oppressed, the people of Judah were spiritually and morally bankrupt. But in 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23, we read about Josiah and how he rediscovered the law of God. During his reign, the law of God was rediscovered, and when it was read to Josiah, he was grieved. He was grieved by the way that he and his people were disobeying the law and breaking the covenant they had made with the Lord. And so he sought to bring about repentance among the people of God. He sought to lead them in repentance and faithfulness to the Lord. He wanted to bring about reform so that they would once again be faithful to the Lord and the covenant they had made with him. However, his reforms did not last. After he was killed in battle in 609 BC, he was succeeded by Jehoahaz, who reigned for all of three months, and then Jehoiakim, who reigned for 11 years. Both of them did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And it was likely during the reign of Jehoiakim that Habakkuk was a prophet. When Habakkuk looked around at the people of Judah, he was distraught at how many of them practiced wickedness. The sins of the people were mounting, and there were even many who practiced violence. He said the law is paralyzed meaning the law of the lord which he had given to his people had no impact on their hearts and lives god's people ignored the law and therefore justice was perverted moreover it seemed as though the wicked greatly outnumbered the righteous within judah so that the righteous felt as though they were completely surrounded by the wicked can you imagine how painful this was for habakkuk Here was a man who loved the Lord, who wanted to serve the Lord, who wanted to walk in righteousness, and who wanted the Lord's people to walk in righteousness. He knew how important it was for them to love the Lord and to trust the Lord and to obey his commands, and yet they were not doing it. Most of them were rebelling against him. Most of them were committing all kinds of evil deeds, and it seemed to him as as though they were just getting away with it. Evil seemed to be prevailing. It appeared to Habakkuk that the wicked were prevailing and God didn't care. He found fault with the Lord because the wicked were carrying on unpunished. As he observed the situation in Judah, his first complaint was, Why, God? Why is this happening? Don't you care? Do you not see what these people are doing? Do you not see how the the wicked seem to be in power and they seem to be getting away with this? Don't you care about the righteous within Judah? Don't you care that we are surrounded by all these people who are doing wicked, committing these evil deeds? He said, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Here was a righteous man crying out to God for righteous reasons. He wanted God to punish the wicked and reestablish the righteous. Surely this was a prayer that the Lord wanted to answer. So why the delay? Why was it taking God so long to answer his prayer? Was God not listening to him? Did God not care about him? Did God not have the power to stop this evil, to punish the evildoers? Habakkuk was struggling to answer these questions, and he cried out in desperation. Brothers and sisters, have you ever experienced this? Have you ever prayed a prayer that is good and right? Have you ever prayed a prayer that you know is in line with God's word, and it seemed to you that God was not answering? 
Have you ever had that happen and you thought to yourself, why? I know this is a prayer that is pleasing to the Lord. Why does he not answer this prayer? This is a good and righteous prayer. Does the Lord not care? Does he not hear me? Is he not powerful to answer this prayer? Have you ever struggled with these thoughts? Well, if you have, if you've experienced this, then you might be able to relate to Habakkuk's thoughts and emotions when he lodged this first complaint. He wondered if the Lord did not hear or if the Lord did not care or if the Lord simply did not have the power to bring about change. But then the Lord responded. Let's keep reading. Let's read chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. The Lord's answer. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. The Lord responded by saying, I'm very aware of the problem and I'm going to address the problem. As a matter of fact, I'm going to address the wickedness in Judah in a way that you won't, won't believe. The Lord was not turning a blind eye. He was not unaware of the wickedness of his people. He was not indifferent towards their sin and rebellion. He was going to address the problem. He was going to address the problem because the Lord is a righteous judge. He sees all things, he knows all things, and he always makes judgments that are right and just. He punishes the wicked because he is a righteous judge. And he was going to punish the people of Judah for their wickedness and rebellion, and he was going to do it in a way that would be shocking to Habakkuk. He was going to raise up the Chaldeans, which was another name for the Babylonians, to punish the Israelites. The Lord was sovereignly in control of the nations and the entire political scene. A little over 100 years prior, the Lord had raised up the Assyrians to punish the northern kingdom of Israel. And during the time of Habakkuk, he was raising up the Babylonians to punish the southern kingdom of Judah. In verses 7 through 11 of chapter 2, the Lord described the way the Babylonians would execute judgment and we see that it would be severe. He described them as dreaded and fearsome, violent and destructive. The Lord did not take the rebellion of his people lightly. Judgment was coming. When Habakkuk lodged his complaint that the wicked in Judah were not being punished, the Lord responded by telling the prophet that they would be punished, and they would be punished at the hands of the Babylonians. Now, as you might imagine, this did not bring great comfort to Habakkuk. He didn't sit back and go, oh good, the Babylonians, those terribly wicked and violent people are going to come and destroy us. Thank you, Lord. That takes care of the problem. Glad to know it. Bring on the Babylonians. No, this was not good news to Habakkuk. When Habakkuk heard the Lord's response to his complaint, he had a follow-up complaint. His second concern with the way the Lord was conducting his business was even greater than his first concern. Let's read Habakkuk 1, beginning in verse 12 to chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk's second complaint. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. 
O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them as for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Initially, Habakkuk had a problem with what he perceived was a delay in the Lord bringing judgment on the wicked in Judah. But then the Lord said, oh no, I'm going to judge them and I'm going to use the Babylonians to do so. And Habakkuk responded by saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're going to use the Babylonians to punish us? Lord, don't you see a problem with this? Habakkuk began by describing God's character. He said, you are from everlasting. You are the Holy One. You are of purer eyes than to see evil, and you cannot look at wrong. In other words, he had good theology. He had a good and right understanding of the Lord. He rightly identified the Lord as the Holy One, as the everlasting one, as the one who had pure eyes and did not, does not tolerate evil. But he couldn't reconcile what he knew to be true about God with what God was planning to do. On the one hand, he said, you are the Holy One. You are the everlasting one. You are pure. You don't tolerate evil. Yet... You ordained the Babylonians for judgment. You have established the Babylonians to bring reproof. Do you see the conflict that was taking place in Habakkuk's mind? How could God, who is holy and tolerates no evil, use such a wicked nation to judge the people of Judah? He said, you are of pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? In Habakkuk's mind, the people of Judah were more righteous than the Babylonians, probably because there were at least some in Judah who remained faithful to the Lord. At least there were some in Judah who worshipped the Lord and, and obeyed His law. There was no one in Babylon who obeyed the Lord and worshipped Him. So why in the world would the Lord allow the Babylonians to devour those in Judah when the ones in Judah are actually more righteous than the Babylonians? He wanted the wicked in Judah to be punished, but he was distraught at the idea of the Lord using the Babylonians to punish the people of Judah. Habakkuk's faith in God seemed to be shaken as he once again asked, why? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you allowing these wicked people, these, these traitors, these evildoers to come and punish us? Habakkuk went further. In verses 14 and 15, he basically said, it's not just that you're allowing it, but you are orchestrating it. You are setting this up so that the Babylonians will take us captive, and they're going to be proud of what they have done, and they're going to worship their false gods. And he finished his complaint saying, is this going to keep on going? Is this going to keep going on forever? 
Are you just going to sit back? Are they just going to keep mercilessly killing people forever? Is this just going to go on and on? Are you actually going to intervene? Are you going to do something about this? Don't you care? And then in chapter 2, verse 1, using military language of a lookout and a watchtower, he said, I'm going to wait to hear God's response. I'm going to stand on top of the outer wall of the city, and I'm going to look out to see how the Lord will answer me. Habakkuk lodged his second complaint. He believed using the Babylonians to bring judgment on the people of Judah was inconsistent with the Lord's character. So he wanted to know how the Lord would defend his actions. How would the Lord justify this? And in chapter 2, God responded to Habakkuk's second complaint. So let's read chapter 2, verses 2 through 20. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them, because you have plundered many nations, and the remnant of the people shall plunder you, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities, and to all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk, in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities, and to all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord in his holy temple, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. If I could summarize God's response to Habakkuk's second complaint, it would be, Don't worry, Habakkuk. Be patient. You can be certain that judgment is coming For Babylon as well. The Lord told Habakkuk to write the vision down, to put it in stone. He wanted him to put it in stone so that others could read the vision and know that the events that would transpire were the Lord's doing. He told Habakkuk that it might seem to you as though it is taking a long time for the vision to come to pass, but you need to be patient. Wait for it. 
for what I am saying will indeed come to pass. The Lord does not lie. What the prophet needed to understand was that just because the Lord was using this corrupt nation for his purposes, it did not mean that he endorsed their behavior. He was going to judge them as well for their wickedness. Throughout chapter 2, the Lord called out the sinful attitudes and behaviors of the Babylonians. The Babylonians were arrogant, violent, and destructive, sexually immoral, and they worshipped idols instead of the one true living God. On the one hand, the Babylonians were self-righteous and arrogant, and their sinful deeds would eventually lead to death. On the other hand, the Lord told Habakkuk how his people are called to live as they wait for the Lord. In verse 4, the Lord said, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The Lord's people are called to live by faith. And for the faithful in Judah during the time of Habakkuk, this meant patiently waiting on the Lord and trusting that he would indeed fulfill his promises even in the midst of disaster. Even in the midst of disaster that was brought on by the Lord using Babylon to judge the people in Judah. They were to live by faith, trusting in the Lord, trusting in his purposes, and trusting that he would accomplish all that he set out to do. They would experience trials, they would experience disaster, they would experience sorrow, but even in the midst of this, they were called to live by faith, trusting in the Lord. In the New Testament, we see Paul reference Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, in his proclamation of the gospel. In Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, he wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We too are called to live by faith as we put our trust in Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel is that God has provided a way for sinners such as us to be forgiven of our sins, to receive the gift of eternal life, and to be united to God for all of eternity in his glorious kingdom. And he has done so by providing Jesus Christ as a savior for us. So we believe in Jesus. We trust in Jesus for our salvation. And we know that we belong to the Lord even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of sufferings and hardships and pain and affliction. We live by faith because we know that we belong to the Lord even when things go poorly. Brothers and sisters, we don't always understand God's ways. Sometimes we ask why. But we are called to live by faith, by trusting in Jesus and the promises he has made to us in the gospel. Even in the midst of hardship, we know that he is with us and we know that our future with him is certain. We know that we will spend all of eternity in his glorious kingdom. And therefore, we live by faith. So in the first two chapters of Habakkuk, we see that the prophet confronted the Lord with two complaints, and the Lord answered them both. And then the light came on for Habakkuk. His mind was changed. The Lord's responses to Habakkuk transformed his perspective and attitude, and the book of Habakkuk concludes with the prophet's prayer expressing his confidence in the Lord. Let's read chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. 
a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianath. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered all the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kishon in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation... You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. At the beginning of his prayer, Habakkuk expressed his fear or awe of the Lord. He was in awe of the Lord because of what he had heard about the Lord and what the Lord had done. The Lord had demonstrated his sovereignty and power over Judah as well as the nations. He is the one who knows all things, sees all things, and holds all things in his hands. The peoples of the earth and even the powerful nations carry out the purposes of the Lord. In light of this, Habakkuk was in awe of him. Let me just say, this is a good way to begin your times of prayer. It is good to begin your times of prayer by worshiping the Lord, by being in awe of Him. We would make a mistake to reduce prayer to petitions. It is good to bring our petitions before the Lord, to make our requests known to Him. But it is good for our souls to worship the Lord for who He is and for what He has done. It is good for us as a people to be in awe of the Lord. And so let me encourage you to begin your times of prayer by worshiping the Lord, by being in awe of Him. Take time to say, Lord, I, I praise You and I worship You for who You are, for what You've done. You are awesome. There is no one like You. You are the creator of everyone and everything. You are the one true and living God. You are awesome in power. You are awesome in, in holiness. Your steadfast love endures forever. I am in awe of you. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's be diligent to worship the Lord, to be in awe of Him, to be continually reminded of His greatness and His glory. After expressing his awe of the Lord and what he had done in the past, Habakkuk asked the Lord to renew his mighty deeds in his time. What the Lord had done in the past, Habakkuk wanted him to do in the present. He said, make your works known and in wrath remember mercy. 
He pleaded that when God came to judge, he would also be merciful. And this was consistent with God's character and with God's actions throughout history. What we see throughout scripture is God executing judgment, but also showing mercy. God does judge the wicked, but he is merciful to the the repentant. If God were to give us all what we deserve, we would all spend eternity in hell, separated from him. That is what we deserve. It's a good thing for us that God is not simply fair. If he was simply fair, it would be bad news for us, but God is also merciful. He is merciful to sinners such as you and me. We see God's wrath, but we also see God's mercy in Scripture, and there's no greater demonstration of this than at the cross of Jesus Christ. At the cross, Jesus received the wrath of God which was poured out on him for the sins of his people. Jesus was punished at the cross in our place as our substitute. He took God's wrath on our behalf so that we can receive mercy. In wrath, God remembered mercy. This is the gospel. If you are not a Christian, we are so glad you're here. And what we want for you, our hope and our prayer for you, is that you will know Jesus. That you will know God's love in Jesus Christ. That you will come to understand that you are a sinner. That you actually deserve judgment. You deserve to be punished. If God were to give you what you deserve, you would spend eternity in hell. That's a hard word to hear, but it is true. Yet God is merciful, he is loving, he is kind, and he has provided a way for us to escape the judgment we deserve, and he has done so at great cost to himself by providing Jesus Christ as a sacrifice and a substitute to take the punishment for us so that we can receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. And we receive this by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, our desire for you is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in him and be saved. God in his wrath remembers mercy. He is merciful to sinners such as us. In verses 3 through 15, Habakkuk reflects on the awesome character of God as he remembers what the Lord has done in the past. In regard to verses 3 through 15, R.C. Sproul wrote, Habakkuk's prayer portrays a theophany, or visible self-manifestation of God using imagery of God's appearances during the events recounted in Exodus. Habakkuk recounted God's awesome power that was on display when he delivered his people from the oppressive Egyptians and entered into a covenant relationship with them at Mount Sinai. In verses 3 through 7, he described the Lord's coming in terms of extraordinary natural phenomena. He described his coming in terms of a thunderstorm with darkness and flashes of lightning. He described the Lord's judgment in terms of pestilence and plague and in terms of the nations shaking and the mountains scattering. The point is that when the Lord shows up to judge evil, everyone will know it and no one will be able to escape his presence. And in verses 8 through 15, the Lord is described as a warrior who battles and defeats his enemies for the salvation of his people and the glory of his name. Just as the Lord judged the Egyptians and defeated them in battle, the Lord would once again crush the head of the house of the wicked. Just as the Egyptians faced the judgment of the Lord, so too would the Babylonians face the judgment of the Lord. 
Verse 15 concludes this vision with a description of how God destroyed the Egyptians, where Habakkuk wrote, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Habakkuk's prayer demonstrated his confidence that just as the Lord defeated the wicked and rescued his people, he would do so once again. Because he was certain the Lord would act in a way that was consistent with how he had acted previously, Habakkuk put his trust in the Lord. But because he knew judgment was coming for Judah by way of the Babylonians, in verse 16 he said, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. He knew the Lord would be faithful to bring judgment on the wicked Babylonians, but he knew judgment had to come first for the people of Judah. And therefore, because he knew judgment was coming, he trembled. He was fearful of what he knew was going to take place. But he also knew that judgment was coming for the Babylonians. So he concluded verse 16 by saying, Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invaded us. On the one hand, he trembled at the thought of the judgment that was coming for Judah, but on the other hand, he was going to patiently wait for the Lord to fulfill his promise to judge the Babylonians. And in verses 17 through 19, Habakkuk concluded his prayer with a beautiful expression of his faith in the Lord. Listen to what he wrote in verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Habakkuk knew hard times were coming. He understood that disaster and destruction were knocking at the door. The people of Judah were facing severe famine and economic ruin. Their way of life and their very livelihood was going to be taken away. Yet even in the midst of this worst case scenario, Habakkuk said, I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take Joy in the God of my salvation. His life did not depend on their economy. His, dwelling did not, his well-being did not depend on their livelihood. His strength, his life was found in the Lord. The Lord was his strength. And he knew that the Lord would ultimately and finally give him victory he could lose everything in this life he could lose all the good things of this world but his strength was in the lord and the lord would finally come through for him habakkuk went from doubting the lord to having faith in the lord he went from questioning his ways to trusting his will by the end of the book habakkuk became an example of how the righteous live by faith brothers and sisters we are called to live by faith that means we cling to the lord and trust his promises even when things go poorly even when we suffer 
Even when we lose the good things in this world, we remember that we cannot lose the best thing that we have been given. In Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39, Paul wrote, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul demonstrated the same confidence in the Lord that Habakkuk demonstrated in his prayer in chapter 3. The confidence that even though I could lose everything in this life, I cannot lose the best thing that I have been given. What is the best thing that we have been given? It is the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We cannot lose this and it cannot be taken from us. We will suffer. We will face trials. We will face hardship. We will face sorrow. Pain will come. But the Lord is our strength and we cannot be separated from his love. And we know with certainty, even in the midst of trials and suffering, that ultimately and finally he will give us victory. So brothers and sisters, we are called to live by faith. We are called to live by faith, trusting the Lord, trusting in Him, and trusting in His will. We don't always know why He does what He does, but we can trust Him. We can trust that He knows what He is doing, that He will accomplish all of His good purposes, and that He will ultimately and finally welcome us into His glorious kingdom for all of eternity. He will deliver on His promises, and therefore we are called to respond by living by faith. Sometimes we don't always see the things that we want to see, but we don't walk by sight. We live by faith in the Lord. He is trustworthy. He is true. He is good. And He is good to us. So let it be true of us that we have the confidence in the Lord that Habakkuk came to have. When we're tempted to doubt Him, when we're tempted to doubt His ways, when we are tempted to question, why, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? Why is this taking place? Let's be persuaded by the Lord through his word and the work of the Holy Spirit to be confident in him, to trust in him, to trust his will, and to trust that he is always working for our good and nothing can separate us from his love. Brothers and sisters, let's live by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is good. We thank you for the book of Habakkuk. We thank you for what we read and learn in Habakkuk, how the prophet struggled, how he doubted, how he questioned. Yet you reminded him that you are sovereignly working all things according to your good purposes. And because of that, he was able to put his trust in you. He was able to put his confidence in you even though he knew hard times were coming. He was able to rejoice in you. And Lord, we pray that this will be true of us. We pray that we will be a people who trust in you, who are confident in you, who rejoice in you. We pray that we will be a people who live by faith, even in the midst of trials, hardships, pains, suffering, and sorrows. May we trust in you. May we be confident in you. And may you be glorified in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.